Hello and welcome back to Accommodation Matters. I'm Darren Ellis, Higher Education Engagement Director at Unite Students. Today I'm joined by a panel of expert sector guests. We're talking about race and inclusion in the higher education sector. Our first guest is Shakira Martin from Rose Bruford College of Theatre and Performance. Can I please ask you to introduce yourself, Shakira? Thank you very much, Darren. I'm I'm really pleased to be here and talking about such an important issue that really needs to be highlighted. Um, My name is Shakira Martin. I'm the current Head of Student Experience at Rose Bruford College. It's a performing arts college in South East London. And I was formerly the president of the National Union of Students between 2017 and 2019, being the first black woman to hold the role following on from Trevor Phillips, 1979. I'm hoping that to be on the chase one day is one of the questions. So that's when I know I've made it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, next up, we have Mari Taylor at the University of Glasgow. Welcome, Mari. Thank you, Darren, and thank you, Shakira. I'll, I'll store that chase <laughs> question in my head now. Um, yeah, I'm Mari Taylor, and I'm the head of Equality, Diversity, and Inclusion at the University of Glasgow. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, we're also joined by Alex Mormoris from London Metropolitan University. Hi, Alex. Hi, Darren. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, and great to meet the rest of the panel and kind of get our chase team ready as well. Um, <laughs> I'm the inclusion manager at London Metropolitan University. Um, we're a kind of medium-sized university uh, based in North London. Lovely. Thank you. And finally, Sam Kingsley from Unite Students. Hi, Sam. Hi. Um, I've recently joined Unite Students as the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager leading on the development of the EDI strategy as well as the wellbeing strategy. I spent the last few years in the architecture sector working with various bodies to increase diversity within the um, industry and I have been a senior volunteer and service organiser with Crisis at Christmas for about 10 years. Lovely, thank you very much. Well, it's great to meet you all and thank you so much for joining me. Uh, The past year has put a renewed focus on race and inclusion socio-politically and higher education is no exception. I'm keen to understand this better from a student perspective first. Um, Shakira, if I could come to you, how much of this renewed focus has been driven by the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent Black Lives Matter protests seen around the world over the last year? And what changes do you think students want to see on race and inclusion? Yeah, thank you, Darren. I think it's firstly important to acknowledge that today marks a one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death. Um, He obviously has left a legacy behind with all the work that um, and the priority that everybody is recognising that black lives do matter and the commitment um, that is being shown across the higher education sector um, in tackling the issue of race and inclusion. But we have to remember that George Floyd was just an example of it being shown on camera faced for, for the world to see. Black people have been dying for years. Deontay Wright, he died recently following on from George Floyd. James Johnson, these are names in the United States. I can carry on the list and I just don't want to list these names off like they're just just random names. So this has been an issue that has been happening um, that we've needed to deal with for many, many years. George Floyd and the world seeing the violations that black people have to go through um, has just heightened and has brought to life what really needs to be addressed. 
Um, so I don't say George's name in vain. And he's a true legend and left a legacy for the world to, to work towards having a truly just society. And, and what changes do you think students want to see on race and inclusion? Students want to be able to have a fair, accessible education system. We want a education system where the black attainment gap is, is, is closed and we don't want it to be a hundred years before it gets there. We want black students to be able to be recognized as black students and recognize the differences and nuances be between different ethnic groups and that it's not one way that fits all. And ultimately, we want an education system that creates a society um, and um, organisation and business leaders that truly reflects the world in which we live. Thank you. And I, I was going to ask, uh, I was going to ask you, Shakira, has the Black Lives Movement empowered black students to share their experiences more readily? Um, yes, it has. In a, it has in a way and it has been happening anyway. It's just, again, the platform is there where people are being able to listen and really be able to understand because they see what it looks like in reality with stuff like what happened with George Floyd. So it has given us um, and given black students empowerment to shout louder, but there were black students shouting loud from the 80s and, and before I was even born, you know, so... It's just further heightened um, the discrimination and the challenges that black students face. Thank you. And, and Mari, I was going to ask, how did universities respond to the murder of George Floyd and, and the civil pro, uh, rights protests we've seen since? Um, and how much has it accelerated the cultural change that potentially had already begun on diversity and inclusion within universities? I think that's a really interesting question to ask because prior to the George Floyd murder this time last year um, and in 2019, the Equality and Human Rights Commission published a report into the experiences of racial harassment at all British universities. And these are experiences not only of students, but of staff as well. And that really showed that there's a high prevalence of um, racial harassment on every campus in every institution. And I think that that's, that's the context that British universities have been sitting with since 2019. And then comes this time last year in 2020 with the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent Black Lives Matter movement. And lots of universities put out strong statements about how awful it was to see this incident happen. But um, I think to reflect on what Shakira said, you know, these are words in a Twitter feed and a statement, but it's really up to um, universities and organisations and institutions across the country to really enact and empower those words into action for students, because the experiences of students and staff on the ground still reflects that EHRC report in 2019. So the emphasis is on ourselves as an organisation to take forward those words that we've put in whatever statement or um, tweet that we put out in, as a subsequent to Black Lives Matter and support our students and our staff to be able to come forward, be true about their experiences, address them appropriately and um, allow staff and students to thrive in our great, let's be honest, educational environments that where they can experience proper uh, uh, embedded learning around what their true experiences are. And just to reflect on something that Shakira said, although we have 
um, a history of uh, horrendous police brutality in the US. It's not only in the US. In Scotland, we're still grappling with the Sheku Bayou uh, death in, in police custody that happened five or six years ago. So this is not solely an issue that we have in the US. It's also an issue that happens in the UK and with our own police forces. Thank you. And and Alex, could I ask the same questions of you? How did uh, your university respond last year? Uh, and, and how has it impacted the sort of cultural change that uh, might have already been um, starting at London Metropolitan University? Yeah, so I think um, kind of great points from both Farah and Shakira. And I think um, really there's um, something which can't be overstated is the importance of um, student activists activists within this kind of movement and within this kind of time as well. And I think um, in a very kind of real way, the work which they've done is how to kind of accelerate things which might have already been in the pipeline um, thanks to different bits of research which have been conducted over the years. Um, but I think it's really put race and the conversation of racism at the forefront of a lot of discussions. Um, in terms of London Met, we've kind of released um, a strategy um, which we're kind of using to address and kind of push forward a lot of the work which we're doing, which covers a lot of stuff from um, our kind of staff and student pipeline um, into kind of careers within academia. Um, it looks at kind of addressing um, different issues in terms of sort of like how we gather information, how we use our data, um, how we kind of process complaints, um, which has been sort of like something which again has kind of come under the spotlight um, quite often as well and, and fairly recently there's been an additional push from uh, the Office for Students in terms of universities to review that. Um, what I would say is that um, Vari's point is really well made in terms of that the statements um, are just words until they're enacted and I think it's kind of there's a point at which universities need to move beyond um, potentially a kind of fairly reactionary state to something which is more sustainable, um, much more holistic. Um, it's very true to say that there, there have been kind of additional reports which have came out recently from um, lots of different bodies, but these kind of stretch back. Um, I think of the Aiming Higher report, which the Runnymede did um, in the early kind of 2010s, um, which highlights the kind of multifaceted nature of racism within higher education affecting both staff and students. Um, and I think there's many institutions across the country where staff have been speaking up about their own experiences for quite a while. Um, I think one thing which I hope from everything which has happened is that students will kind of recognize their power within this um, sphere um, to recognize kind of like the influence which they can have and um, the pressure which they can apply. Um, but I think also as well, we've seen a bit of a step change in how universities embrace that as well. Um, and realise that they need to step up to a challenge as opposed to kind of um, potentially suppressing it. And you mentioned there that, you know, the, the, the sort of student activism around this area. Are, are you really seeing that strongly within your own institution, within the Student Union of London Met? Is is it really, uh, you know, tangible in terms of uh, their, their uh, interest in this area and the actions they expect the university to take? Yes, I think we've got um, we've got a fantastic students union um, and a really good relationship with them between sort of us and the at the university and them as the students union and we've kind of building ever closer ties. So we had um, our student reps request additional equality and diversity training 
um, so they can kind of better understand um, some of the issues which might um, come up and how they can kind of use their role to address that. Um, it's very difficult to kind of say in terms of sort of um, to kind of get a real sense of feel for the place where it, when we're kind of during the lockdown. Um, but there, is, there have been kind of like a suite of activities, um, both from kind of like our staff network um, and our student network. Um, there was the decision to kind of expand um, Black History Month to Black History 365 um, this year, which has seen events uh, throughout the year to kind of help keep the spotlight um, on a variety of different issues as well. You make a great point about how lockdown might have impacted uh, and what might therefore be different uh, in the next academic year as we hope those uh, restrictions are gradually lifted. Um, I know that at Unite Students, Sam, the last year has made us look very carefully at our own responsibilities and what and what more we can do to serve black students' needs. Sam, can, can you tell us about some of the lessons we learned and, and how we're responding to them, please? Yeah, so I, I really think the events over the last year have prompted all of us to think about uh, equality, diversity and inclusion, but in particular, anti-black racism. Um, so being very new to Unite, it was positive for me to see that work had already begun on interrogating the ways in which we serve students. Uh, you know, is the experience the same for all students? Do we even know who our students are? Um how are we best supporting our black students and where are we falling short? And I think the resounding answer was there wasn't any data to prove anything either way because we just don't know who our students are. So um, it's really exciting to be working with Helping Partnership on this research. Um, they have lots of great uh, relevant experience and um most importantly for us, a black research team. So over the coming weeks, they'll be um, surveying students and running focus groups um, with both students and um, staff in purpose-built accommodation across the sector. Um, and I'm really proud uh, to be in invited in and included working on living back at university. Th Thank you, Sam. And, and you're an advisory consultant on this research, Shakira. Uh, what are you hoping to learn from it? And uh, and indeed, what do you think we might expect to, to see? Yeah, so I'm really excited to be working on this project. Not only is there not been research done like this before, but I do think that it could really be trailblazing in getting universities to recognise the um, relationship between student accommodation and that whole university experience, whether it's purpose-built um, student accommodations or student accommodations attached to the university, when we are talking about, you know, tackling racism, at EDI strategy, it goes across um, across to your partners and the, the contracts that you have with um, subcontractors. And I would like to see out of this report to say that actually when universities are working with subcontractors, in this case, um, purpose-built student accommodations, but actually across all areas of the university, that it should be in the procurement contract that there is some area of commitment or work 
of EDI within these institutions. Because as I'm known to say, it's not just about getting in, it's about getting on. It's not just about making black, um, you know, the number of rooms allocated to black students. It's about when black students are there, how can they feel comfortable? How can they get a sense of community? How can black workers who um, are in accommodations and working, you know, during this time of COVID, how can we make sure that our black staff are protected? How do we understand the nuances of black staff with, you know, maybe issues of sickle cell that only affects a certain, you know, type of um, black, black people, basically? How do, how are these things considered to really be able to have a, um, a real tangible strategy that is producing outcomes that make people feel comfortable and that reflects what's going on on the ground. Um, and I think that is is really, really important. Thank you very much. And Mari, uh, we know you've already done a great deal of research on race and inclusion at Glasgow. Could you share a little bit more about that with us? Yes, certainly, Darren. So um, I suppose our journey started a number of years ago when the university um, committed to having a look at um, the university's links to uh, the transatlantic slave uh, uh, movement. And because um, Glasgow is obviously was a significant player within that time, um, but as a city, we'd never done any of that sort of true reflection that you see in some other cities in, in, on the west coast of the UK, like Bristol and Liverpool. So the, the university was keen to understand, you know, what were our links? What, what gifts and bequests did we get? We have a very prominent building, um, on top of a hill that's, you know, built right around the time of the era that we expected that much of the bequests and funding for that building could have come from that legacy. So we, um, our history department spent, um, a year looking at in the archives and working at research. And we came out understanding that somewhere in the region of between 16 and 200 million pounds worth of bequests were given to the University of Glasgow and where they are and what happened with them. And that was a huge, significant piece of work because when we published that piece of work, we published it alongside a program of reparative justice where we identified nine things that we would like to do to uh, redress some of these issues. And this program of reparative justice was, was supported by three prominent people across the area. One was Sir Hilary Beckles, who's the um, Vice Chancellor of the University of West Indies. One was Councillor Graham Campbell, who started the African Caribbean Network in Glasgow. And one was Sir Professor um, Geoffrey Palmer, who is a professor of brewing at the University of um, of Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, but he's also of the Windrush generation. So that piece of work sort of started us on this journey. And then when I mentioned the EHRC report in 2019, the university considered that as, as part of, in part of our Equality and Diversity Committee. And we wanted to look at what the experiences of staff and students currently are at the university. So we started our own research last March with a student survey and we did 20 in-depth um, interviews with staff. And what we found was that staff and student experience mirrored that of the EHRC report. And that was really important because there's often um, a view in Scotland that we are different from the rest of the UK and it people, you know, 
especially in Glasgow, there's this sense of, well, we're just a really friendly city. Um, and actually, it's important to see that people's experience is different and that we need to recognise that racial harassment and racial discrimination does exist within our own institution. So alongside that report, we also looked at employment data, um, because like many institutions, we mask some of our low numbers of UK ethnic minority staff because we have such high international staffing. We also looked at the awarding gap in a lot of detail to identify where there were issues around that. And we just looked at the general cultural experience of staff and students at the institution. Um, we spent a lot of time with our senior management going over the report and, and shaping an action plan that's to go with it because we recognised that this is quite challenging for people. We've done a lot of work on sex and gender equality in the last five years, five to ten years really, but we haven't really looked at this in, a, in enough detail, particularly compared to some of our um, counterparts in, in England and Wales. Um, and it was time that we actually had a, a good hard look at where we were. So we got approval for the report and we launched it in February and it was launched by our principal, um, Anton Muscatelli, and it was launched with an apology because we recognise that we have to say sorry that people shouldn't have these experiences on our campus. This isn't a, this isn't the sort of institution we want to be. But we also recognise that we are a microcosm of society and that over the last five, six years through various um, social and political and global contexts, you know, racial hate crimes have risen and we need to address those on our own campus as we are a microcosm of our city. Um, so we've done quite a lot of work and, and we launched in February and now we've got the job of actually doing a lot of the actions around that. So that includes training, specialist training for senior managers. It includes um, looking at our processes because one of the things that we launched with was to say that we want to be an anti-racist organisation. And to do that, we have to look at our systems and processes. We have 570 years of history on our back, including a legacy of gaining significant funding from slavery. We will have inherent racist practices within our processes. So we're going to spend a bit of time looking at promotions procedures, career development structures, and identifying where we think there's gaps within the processes and procedures and see what support we can put in place for people. We're spending a bit of time examining where our um, awarding gaps are, what's inherently um, contributing towards them, spending a bit of time looking at our curriculum and our development and supporting staff. Some areas are you know, well on the way around things like decolonising the curriculum, which is much more straightforward to some people who teach in the humanities or social sciences. But when you speak to a chemist, it becomes a bit harder to explain what, what, what we mean by that and how we can support them to do that. So we're taking a bit of time to see how we can embed th these processes and ensure that our systems and processes aren't, in aren't inherently discriminatory. But we recognise that it's a, it's a journey. It's not something that we can do overnight. But we need to start talking about it. One of the things that I've found when I've gone around and spoken to staff and, uh, about the report is that they're really fearful of getting it wrong and of making a mistake. And I've had to say to staff, you know, you will make mistakes. You will get things wrong. But you just have to own up to them and move forward. Um, and we want to create um, a number of stu student staff, student partnerships so that we can do some of this work in partnership with our students, particularly around 
decolonizing the curriculum. We think that's a really important field. And from speaking to our student uh, unions, that's that's the area they're really keen to be involved in our work. So there's lots to do. Um, and it's a big challenge, but actually, I think we've had really strong positioning from our senior leadership that they they really want to progress and move this forward for our institution. I mean, they, they, uh, there's a huge amount in there, Mary, obviously. And I was going to ask you really about that leadership, because you talked a number of times about the senior leaders there. And I, I suppose my questions are, you know, what, what are the leadership behaviours that you have seen already and would continue to like to see to support you in this work and and also how interested and supportive have the governing board of your institution been uh in this area as well so i mean the the senior leaders were incredibly supportive when we brought the report because the report to be quite honest with you is shocking I mean, it's a terrible um, example of people's experience of racial harassment at our organisation. And although the numbers are very low, and normally you could sort of dismiss something if you've got low numbers, very much so the principal um, said, no, you know, nobody can have this experience at my university and therefore we must address this. And therefore I want to take forward a public apology on behalf of my institution for these terrible experiences that people have had and from talking to the senior management group that was very much echoed a lot of them they look around the room and it it, at that point it was it was an all-white group and so they recognize that they're an all-white group and they need to address that but also they recognize that because they're an all-right group they need to learn and uh, and talk to their to staff within the organisation and to students and to find out truly what people's experiences are. And um, so one of the things that we've been putting in place is um, training, anti-racist training for that cohort of staff where they can have that space to um, learn and understand as they go forward but also to ensure that they have uh, mutual mentors, so mentors from um, more junior positions in, in the organisation or alumni who they could who could support them through this process. So the governing body is a really interesting one because one of the areas that we've talked about is whether or not we can diversify our governing body. And we've been each individual senior management member has had an, a personal objective that they've published. And one of them is for the um, chief operating officer is around diversifying the governing body. So we had an update from him very recently and, you know, he's managed to identify people um, from the, who have the right skill sets. And so they can bring on diverse, diverse members of the governing body. But that's quite a challenge and you need to put your mind to it and then work on it. So um, I'm pleased to say that we may, we're going to make progress there, but it can take a piece of time to do that. Thank you. And I, I find it extremely powerful that um, not only have senior leaders committed to say one thing, you know, but those committed, those commitments are published um, uh, for, you know, in the interest of transparency, but also in the interest of, of whether they actually take place. That's fascinating. Um, and Alex, can I come to you now, please? Uh, what work have you undertaken at London Met to understand students' experience of race and inclusion on campus, please? There's a slightly different context at London Met where we've got a majority uh, minority racialized uh, group. So um, a lot of the work which we've done has been based on our kind of like existing systems 
um, to ensure that we can kind of greater leverage um, student opinion and student feedback um, what we kind of do and um, sort of introduce for our entire student body will benefit BAME students just by the very nature that they are the majority at our university and um, is a kind of the majority within the sort of like cohort that we um, sit within as well, our, our locality within London. Um, with that said, I think often some universities can kind of use that as a bit of a cop-out in terms of saying um, because we recruit so many BAME students that we don't have an issue um, and that's not the kind of tack which we've taken at all. Um, we've done a number of things to kind of just really um, address kind of like institutional culture and the way that we kind of work. Um, so one of the main things is the introduction of the um, ESJ, which is the Education for Social Justice Framework. Uh, this is a framework which was developed by in consultation with both um, staff and students. So it was a joint project across our students' union, um, individual students and members of staff to develop a framework um, by which our courses will be kind of evaluated, by which we'll kind of develop um, critical pedagogies, um, which will kind of um, improve our um, sort of uh, assessment processes. Um, which will have like a major effect on our students. Um, we're also quite lucky in the sense that we're not kind of starting from a position um, similar to yourselves at Unite where we don't have this data and we don't have this research. There's a long history of extensive and very comprehensive research which kind of outlines both the lived experience of students as well as kind of some of the things which um, are kind of clear from the, the demographic information which we gather um, both of our staff and our students. Um, there's also kind of different methodologies through things like the Race Quality Charter Mark, um, Athena Swan, Stonewall, um, which give us an indication in terms of how best to kind of use and analyse um, and gather that data. So um, from that, we get a really good picture in terms of sort of the processes which we need to follow to first identify issues and then to kind of um, address them. Um, I think one of the issues which um, have kind of been observed in terms of the charter marks um, in particular is um, that that point of completion of the research um, is seen as the end point um, and I think it's really good to hear about everything from Glasgow in terms of the additional action plan and the kind of publicity around um, addressing and doing things to kind of issue an apology um, and really sort of embed um, a lot of this work moving forward and that's sort of very similar to kind of what we're trying to do where we embed this within a system of practice so instead of kind of having to rely on sort of research which we'll do every year we know that we've got systems in place um, which will highlight issues as they are addressed as, as they come up um, and we've got kind of action plans which are kind of sustainable over a number of years um, to embed progress. You know, you talked there about being able to highlight issues, but you, it's clear that you've, you've got a, a plan, but you've got clear measures of success, but you've also got a review mechanism in place as well to make sure that the things you're setting out to achieve actually happen. I suppose the question I have for you as a follow up, Alex, is what, what do you think are the potential barriers, uh, to those plans? What do you think might get in the way from, uh, from you and the institution, uh, achieving the success that you're clearly looking for? I think there's always an issue of momentum and um, there's always an issue of kind of um, some level of pushback in terms of um, when you 
engage in culture change. And I don't think it's a case of um, anybody not wanting to kind of um, engage in this journey to become um, an anti-racist institution, but there's um, obviously going to be some level of debate in terms of what is the best uh, route to take uh, within that. Um, I think there's kind of different things in terms of sort of like outside um, effects on the sector. Um, so there's um, kind of quite a bit of instability at the moment, uh, just given the pandemic um, and also kind of some of the sort of things which have been spoken about for us in particular around kind of like London waiting, um, which could have an impact in terms of sort of like longer term funding. But I think another thing which um, has been highlighted already as well is that kind of key senior leadership commitment. Um, we we have that and we've we're able to kind of secure and kind of fall back on that um, to kind of ensure that this is understood as kind of like a key priority of the institution and something which needs to be kind of ring fenced and protected um, to ensure that kind of stability through um, this kind of period of instability. Um, so I think it's kind of these are some of the issues. I think there's going to be some kind of difficult conversations along the way when um, different kind of conversations come up. Um, there's always an emphasis to try and get things right from the outset in terms of the design, um, especially given kind of like the conversation and the experiences which people have had as well. Um, it's, it's a very difficult place to kind of ask for patience, to kind of have the bravery to kind of maybe sort of try something out without kind of realizing um, or kind of knowing exactly what's gonna, what it would develop into as well. Um, I think a key thing for us to have enough in the forefront of our mind is basically um, that level of intersectional analysis as well. Um, so ensuring that um, while a lot of our work will be centered on um, issues of race and racism within the academy, understanding that from an intersectional perspective so we understand uh, what that looks like. Um, for different ethnicities, for different genders, um, for different sexualities within that kind of broader context of racism as well. Um, so making sure that we kind of bring people with us along that journey as well. And I think within that as well, communication is really key. Um, so there, there's a lot of kind of um, issues to be faced. There's a lot of instability on the outside, but I think that kind of core confidence that we've got um, the senior management support um, to kind of make this happen, we've got kind of um, funding which has been allocated to us from the institution um, is always a massive help. Um, and we've also got um, an incredible staff body as well, which um, is really engaged with this conversation um, and is driving for positive change as well. And that's a, that's a nice segue, actually, Alex, into something I wanted to explore a little bit further. And I, I'm actually going to start with you, if I may. Okay. Um, I know that uh, both London Met and United Students are making strides towards building a more inclusive workplace. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about some of the strategies and plans you have for this? Um, uh, please. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I've mentioned in terms of sort of the data infrastructure, which we're kind of establishing and kind of streamlining to ensure that we've both got um, sort of general pictures of the university in terms of how we're doing, but also kind of local pictures by department, um, which then allow kind of greater um, accountability um, for individual heads to kind of um, get a grasp on sort of like what their specific issues may be um, and also kind of helping them to develop the action plans, um, which can go along to address that as well. 
Um, we've released our strategy um, for race equality, which kind of covers several different areas, including kind of education, the curriculum, um, as well as our pipeline. Um, and the governance part is like a massive part of that as well. Um, we've introduced a suite of training as well to um, help staff in terms of that transition. So currently we've got, uh, we've just brought online our inclusive behaviors training, which is um, in total 30 hours, um, which covers a range of things. Um, it's mostly kind of based within um, elements of kind of critical race theory, but kind of branches out into sort of um, how this has been interpreted um, in different kind of intersectional approaches. Uh, we talk a lot about kind of terminology um, and this is really kind of like a launch pad through which our staff can then have kind of further conversations about um, any additional changes to the curriculum, um, which is also supported by an additional kind of specific set of training for our kind of academic and student facing staff as well. Um, and we're also kind of reviewing um, a lot of our kind of policies at the moment and our kind of recruitment processes. So um, I think at the start I mentioned about um, a, many universities at the moment are going to be reviewing their kind of complaints processes. Um, so we're kind of also doing that work and we're kind of reviewing our policies as well to make sure that they're kind of fit for purpose, up to date. Um, we're also going to be launching kind of like a recruitment um drive we're sort of looking at how we can kind of do recruitment um slightly differently um both in terms of like how we advertise how we kind of speak about ourselves as an institution um but also kind of like the processes through which we do sort of shortlisting um our kind of standardized questions um and really embedding that kind of value system within sort of um our recruitment process as well Thank you, Alex. And I have to say that uh, that training does sound uh, incredibly comprehensive, uh, inclusive behaviours, 30 hours. Uh, perhaps we could talk after this uh, about getting together on that. <laughs> that sounds absolutely fascinating. And I, I suppose I, I, I joke about that, but in actual fact, the sharing of best practice, sharing of all this hard work that's going on in individual institutions and organisations, you know, maybe we would all get a little, get there a little quicker if we, if there was a mechanism for, for sharing all this incredible work that we're hearing about from, uh, from, you know, every guest on this call. Um, Sam, um, I just wanted to come to you. What are we doing at Unite Students to make it a more inclusive environment for staff of colour, please? Well, um, that there is a lot of work to do and, you know, picking up on some of the themes that have been shared by both Mari and Alex, um, there's a, a huge amount of honesty that is taking place at the moment, I think, um, not just internally to Unite, but across the board when we're talking about EDI and specifically about race. Um, we haven't done enough. Um, but what's great is we've got um, both senior leadership buy-in and also a real grassroots um, push to um, move forward and start to get things right. Um, so the first real bit of work I'm doing is um, a monitoring data exercise internally as well. So we're really trying to find out who we have in order to find out how we can best serve them. Um, we've got surveys coming up where, and we're really trying to de develop the em employee voice in the boardroom um, and make sure that we're having the voices of people of colour heard at all levels um, of the business. We've recently launched um, our first race-related staff network group, People of Colour Unite, um, 
which was launched during Black Inclusion Week. And um, what has been great for me is to see something really positive come out um, from a group that was started almost as a support group, a support group really, um, after the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent Black Lives Matter protests. So, you know, launching in Black Inclusion Week and they, you know, having goals that are going to directly link into the strategy um, is just a really positive way to see how diversity can improve um, a company and to take what is sometimes a trauma-related or negative um, view and change it into something where we can, we can actually implement some real change. Um, there is a huge wide range of things that I'm looking at, including um, recruitment, progression pathways, um, you know, wider participation, but also the legal requirements that we have as a company as well. And, and are there one or two sort of key KPIs in your mind, key measures of success that you would look to over the course of the next 12 months that says, yes, we're going in the right direction, um, the progress is being made? What what might they be? Um, honestly, my, my huge KPIs are probably years off. However, um, I think discussion about race there's a lot of you know fear of saying the wrong thing um which can often lead to environments not being quite as comfortable as they could be so i think being able to talk about race in an open and honest way um is going to be you know a really big indicator of whether things are working um there's a lot of training to develop and do and it, I would like it to be really authentic to Unite. So the work that I'm doing at the moment um, is going to directly lead into what you know what that training looks like, whether it's allyship training that's needed, whether it is inclusive language, um, and I'm really hoping that the conversations I'm having um, with people now really develop in terms of comprehension of race issues and how they affect people at work. Thank you. Uh, and finally, for our listeners, uh, please could I ask you to each share one practical tip for anyone who wants to do more on race and inclusion. Shakira, could I have your recommendation first, please? Yeah. Um, can I be cheeky, Darren, and do two? One for staff and one for students. <laughs> you certainly please. can. Yes. Always breaking boundaries. Though. I'm sorry about that. Uh, so the first one would be um, for staff. And I would say, you know, going to the root causes and tackling the structural issues of racism with our institutions is really difficult. So I just think it requires um, senior management. And there's great examples, as Myri said, of being bold and being not scared to get it wrong and use the people around you to be able to share their experiences to help you shape the direction. Because sometimes we can have good intentions, but the way we go about it doesn't necessarily hit the spot. So in that bringing people in like that will enable them to kind of keep a clear line and know what, what they're trying to work at. And for students, I would say that when you have or experience issues of racism, um, report it because without these reports um 
and, and being able to know what is happening on the ground, institutions will be able to continue to say, we don't have racism in our institution, nothing's reported. Um, so I'd really encourage students to be encouraged to report it um, and also to be able to complete the survey, um, the UNITE survey, that will be able to give us some data to be able to really get some good recommendations to help shape this wider piece of work. Thank you very much, Shakira. Thank you. Mari? Yeah, I think mine's similar to Shakira's. Um, I'm a great um, data, data, data. Like, I'm a great believer in data starting the conversations for change. Um, so we in, in Glasgow University, we have something like 17% of staff don't tell us their ethnicity. So I, you know, looked at our ethnicity pay gap and I have no idea if I have the right information because our ethnicity data could look really, really different. And it's similar for students because lots of our international students don't tell us their ethnicity. And so please go onto your, whatever your systems are and declare. And again, with data, 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 you know, as Shakira said, if you experience, even if you don't experience racism yourself, if you witness it, report it. Most universities now have anonymous reporting systems. Report it because that's what will make people sit up and look at what's going on and where, where there are problems and whether there are problems. So even if you don't feel bold enough and bold enough to own your report, you can generally report these things anonymously now. So please, please do that. And data, data, data drives a lot of things in institutions like ours. Thank you very much, Mari. Uh, and Alex? Um, I would say, I mean, I think Shakira's kind of like hit the nail on the head in terms of it's, it's quite difficult to formulate um, one bit of advice for kind of like um, such a wide variety of people who might be listening. Um, what I would say, though, kind of like which cuts across the board is probably um, strategy and solidarity. So this work is kind of incredibly taxing, especially if you're kind of... Um, talking about your own lived experience and kind of putting together the reports and that sort of stuff. So I think it's it's good to look for those sort of support networks um, and that kind of solidarity to kind of help along the way. Um, and I'd also kind of say as well that to be sort of strategic and to have kind of like long-term visions about um, the changes which you want to achieve as well. So kind of having a clear vision in terms of what it is that you want to achieve um, ensuring that that's kind of like not to kind of dampen expectations but sort of realistic in terms of what's possible from where you're starting from and kind of like the time frame in which that's going to take as well thank you very much alex and lastly sam um i'm going to be cheeky and give you two as well um <laughs> the first one would be um as black people we need to protect our boundaries um and protect our mental health this is really difficult work we don't have to uh, relive our lived experience all the time and we have every right to protect our mental health and set those boundaries and um on that i always remember the moment that really changed boundaries for me was when i actually started exercising them instead of just saying i had them um the the second tip i have and this is for allies is leave your black friends alone let them come to you if they want to talk to you about it but there are you know plenty of resources there are youtube videos there are books there are seminars that you can go to to find out that information and research it 
that stop bombarding your black friends um with questions about race because not we're not a monolith one and two not everybody is an expert on um racial equality thank you very much that's all we have time for today uh, but thank you so much to all our guests for your thoughtful contributions on this very important topic Thank you also to our listeners for more information on our black student research, including how your organisation can get involved. Please head to our show notes or the accompanying article on our higher education website. Join us next month for a brand new episode. Until then, take care.